Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Kevin Sesha, whom you might know from his work as a writer on Attack of the Show, Kung Fu Panda, Legends of Awesomeness, and Bajillion Dollar Properties, or as the co-host with Aaron Abrams of the really fun Case Files of Columbo podcast on Howl.fm. He's also the author of Punching Tom Hanks, the only pop culture self-help book you'll ever need. Kevin went with The Magnificent Seven, John Sturge's delightful 1960 western, which turned Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai into a properly American frontier adventure in which a pair of gunslingers, played by Yul Brynner and Steve McQueen, recruit a posse of heroes to help a Mexican village get out from under the thumb of a murderous thug, played by, well, Eli Wallach. Uh, okay, that's awkward, but everything else, including Charles Bronson, Robert Vaughn, James Coburn, and a wonderful Elmer Bernstein score, is pretty terrific. One small warning, we recorded this episode at his apartment in Brooklyn, and the weird scrabbling noises you hear about four minutes in and towards the end are Kevin's dog, Tildy, who settled in on the couch directly under my recorder and made herself present. This is someone else's movie, and someone else's dog. It's my favorite movie of all time, <laughs> and I talk about it for a large portion of my life, uh, generally just run-of-the-mill whenever possible. Um, I quote it. It's something my dad and I share. And so uh, when you contacted me, it was just the first thing that I popped into my head. And then I kind of bounced around thought about some other options maybe and go a funnier route or maybe more current. But uh, no, it's Magnificent Seven. Okay. Yeah. And what was your first experience? And when did you first see it? It's weird. I... Um, I, I saw it when I was a kid, and I didn't initially love it, and I think it was because kids are dumb, <laughs> and uh, at the time I was more interested in, you know, more colorful, sort of loud, like, I was a comic book fan, and I watched horror movies, and sort of easier to digest action movies, and westerns just seemed a little flat, and uh, my dad showed it to me, and it was one of his favorite movies, and it didn't really stick, and then he showed it to me again, and, and it, then it would be on, like, the year later I'd walk in, and he'd be watching it, and... Uh, as I got older, I think I started to appreciate Westerns more, and then something just clicked, and then I just, somewhere around high school, I just fell in love with it, and then shit started showing it to my friends and getting more excited about it, and probably seen it, you know, 50, 60 times. Yeah. So. It's weird. I've kind of been, I hadn't watched it in at least, I'd say, 15 years before you brought it up, yeah. and so I went back and revisited it, and I think I've kind of been giving it... Just not enough respect uh, in my Clearly, movies. you have it. The face you just <laughs> made tells the story. I'm a little insulted. It's, it's uh, uh, yeah. I can understand where you're coming from. It's like I remember it as I had been remembering it as like a secondary western, as one of yeah. those where you know it's not Seven Samurai and it's kind of cheesy and everybody's a little too clean. Yeah, and it's like it feels like it looks like a studio western. And so when I think back, I just remember these really clean lines and big sweeping shots of everything in order and and that's not a negative I guess but in my mind it's been classified with stuff like True Grit or what's another really good example but it's like a secondary big studio picture yeah. the, ones that don't, the ones that have dated yeah. to my mind but then I went back and watched it again and it's like you know actually it's surprisingly ballsy for a two hour eight minute movie that spends almost an hour before just building 
yeah. putting things together, letting the characters be together. Like that's what Lawrence of Arabia does. It it, yeah. it takes its time and it gets rolling yeah. in a really slow way. The Eli Wallach brown face is still a little disquieting. I guess more so now than it used to be. Sure. I mean, uh, that's. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's of its time. It's sort of hard to separate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of your other sort of your assessment of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's definitely big studio and sort of rollicking, and, and it's. But I mean, I feel like it's all. It's not trying to be anything else. It's not trying to sort of be political or or you know. And it's of course you know Seven Samurai is a, is a classic, and and it's obviously based on that. But I feel like you know, in terms of groundbreakingness, you know, Seven Samurai is sort of a a legit great movie, and and I would argue that this is just a different category. Like, I think it's great, but I also think it's you know. The changes from making it a samurai picture to making it a western, I think, add to it, and it's, for my mind, one of the best examples of like the building the rowdy ragtag team of misfits. I mean, whether it's The Great Escape or The Dirty Dozen, The Magnificent Seven is right up there. Um, the way they go about assembling the team, the way they train, the way they have their first clash with the bad guy. Um, take this from my dog. Uh, yeah, it's just. Um, I don't know. I just love it, and I feel like I would way. I feel like John Wayne in general has aged poorly to a degree that uh, she was just trying to. Oh, I don't know what that. Yeah, yeah. piece of plastic. Um, yeah. Well, we're ruining my flow, Tildy. It's my dog. Um, That's okay. We can always cut around it. John Wayne. I feel like. I mean, I love Clint Eastwood westerns. I like um, True Grit, and I like. Um, uh, what's the blanking on the um, Rooster Cogburn? Is that the? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, sequel. Yeah, but I don't. I'm not a huge fan of John Wayne in general, and in that sort of clean cut, aw shucks, I'm all American do gooder thing. I much prefer like Eastwood or his stuff was a lot more yeah. square in a weird way. Yeah, and I guess that's that had sort of contaminated my memories of, of Seven as well. But yeah. what I'd forgotten was like it opens with a statement of purpose against racism. Like it's not. It's not lightweight for a movie made in 1960. Yeah, no. It's like it, the, the first bonding moment between Brunner and McQueen is that they want to have a funeral for an Indian. Yeah. That's a big deal. Give him a proper burial and people oppose them and then that's their first, the first two of the seven who team up and then later disband. But just that is just pure like, throws you right into it. It's just like two guys, there's, there's these people that want to bury an Indian and they need to get up the hill and they won't be allowed by these villainous white men and then two heroes step forward and drive the hearse and yeah that's like an episode of Dungeon right there yeah. in five minutes yeah and it's tense and it's exciting and you get some McQueen scene stealing bullshit that I love and I forgot how good he was in that too it's amazing the, the scene and we're going to jump all over the place so sure. don't worry about it but the, the scene with um, the first big Method scene, I guess, from Horse Book Cults, the, just a big weeping scene in the in the bar, which is he's always the worst parts of any yeah. scene. He's that he's element the, is unfortunate. He's the only bad performance, I would say. Yeah, but, but watching McQueen play off of him is amazing. Yeah, um, just the fact that he it's okay. It won't. It probably won't register that much. Okay, he just wants attention paid. I Do you clip out these little dead spots? Yeah. Can, okay, don't worry about it. I yeah. can I can dip in and out pretty cool. easily. Uh, but it's the kind of thing where yeah, McQueen is doing stuff and Brunner is not in a really interesting way like yeah. he's he's got this fixed reserve thing but I, this time through I kept thinking this is exactly what The Rock does like this is a Dwayne Johnson performance he's like <laughs> wow. he's not letting on how much fun he's having he's not letting it bleed, bleed out into the character but you see it there's yeah. this, this great dropping of dialogue just everything's flat and everything's quick Yeah, but he's clearly having the most fun of anybody in the room. Who, McQueen, you're saying? Brenner. Oh, Brenner. Oh. Yeah. He anchors everything in a really weird way. He, I mean, I prefer McQueen in this. In Well, I mean, he's also one of my favorite actors. Uh, but, uh, 
Yeah, I think he, he's just magnetic, Yul Brenner. Like, the walk is so sort of iconic. Like, yeah. just the way he struts. Like, it's a strut, but it's not like a showy strut, like a professional wrestler where it's, like, designed to be seen. It's almost as, like, it's in spite of himself. Like, he doesn't, he's not trying to do it. He might, in fact, have developed this walk. And yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah. smart if he did, because it's a cool walk. Um, but, yeah, and he's a little bit quieter, and he's, he just does a, the best sort of understated, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. he is. He's just... He's doing something that everybody does in westerns, you know, like the, just this mysterious man who who keeps his words short and his actions precise. Yeah. But he, I mean, this is where Westworld comes from, right? Like this is where that kind of menace comes from. Yeah. But there's like, like this time around, it played with wit. It yeah. seemed to be he's in on the joke. He had like the same outfit in Westworld, that man in black. Yeah, sort they of, basically yeah. just saw him and transplanted him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, McQueen. I mean, certainly. Uh, his charisma is unbelievable. Yeah, he's yeah he's a natural. Just pure charisma, just oozing cool, and uh, I don't know. It just shows you that like, it's just this intangible thing. Like you can't try to get it. You can't aspire to it. You either have it or you don't. And um, I mean that's been said a lot and analyzed. And but I mean I don't know if there's a better personification of it than McQueen at his peak. And and uh, and you look at the entire cast. I mean it's almost the sort of real life version of the building the the team of elite superstars because it's like you know Charles Bronson yep. James fucking Coburn yeah. McQueen and it's like when you have James Coburn in your movie and he's not even the coolest guy <laughs> he's like the third coolest guy maybe depending yeah. on your feelings on Brenner like I think I go Bron- you know McQueen Bronson James Coburn and then pretty great and he has I, yeah. mean, I think of all of them the best introduction yeah where he's just eh, that's all time like iconic of dialogue and just yeah amazing knife skills and just quietly, quickly demonstrating exactly why you're going to watch him for the rest of the movie anytime he's in the shot. Yeah, perfect. And it's just that scene, yeah, where the the bully has heard a rumor, he wants to challenge him, he thinks he can be better with a knife than he is with a gun, and he doesn't have to prove anything. He's just laying there, catching 40 winks in the dirt, you know, content with his hat pulled down over his eyes, and he has to be literally shoved and kicked and prodded into this contest, and then he just annihilates the guy. It's yeah. so iconic. Yeah. And again, it's, it's done... With an economy of of effort that speaks to the character, yeah, and you just again, yeah, I just I keep realizing watching it that that oh, the other thing too was that I was expecting him to be Australian because he is in The Great Escape, right? Yes, I, I yeah. just like oh no, that's different. I'm glad he didn't trot out that accent. Um, yeah. People can't handle it. In two yeah, years. but but Sturges like this is like a trial run for The Great Escape in a lot of weird ways, and yeah, juggling a huge cast with with elaborate. Motivations that are almost entirely unspoken. Yeah, working in archetypes rather than stereotypes or cliches. I mean, there's yeah. more stereotyping in the in the supporting characters inevitably because it's still an MGM studio western in 1960. But they all have their color and their backstory, and, and it might have come from like a stock place. But like everything from like you know the dandy gunfighter who's lost his nerve to the gritty, cool, silent knife guy mm-hmm. to the two leads to the young. Buck, who who will inevitably realize he wants romance and family and and that life, and he's not really a gunfighter. I mean, I feel like there's enough there. Nothing is just generic on generic, you know, bang bang. Oh no, yeah, everything's um, in place. Yeah, and, that, and of course the score, which which I was just gonna say, Elmer Bernstein, just iconic. Yeah, just it's amazing, strung together so beautifully. It's it's this sort of it's almost 
I'd forgotten because the the overture, I guess, the version of the score that plays at the beginning, it goes right into it and it sort of cuts up against itself, almost like it's too excited to to get yeah. to the end. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah, and then you're like, I'm in, let's go, and then there's this calm, quiet scene with Wallach and everybody. Yeah, but the energy comes right back like every time the score comes back in. There's just so much fun. It's boisterous. It's amazing. I was a stand up for many years, and I would uh, when I would play at this uh, place Largo in Los Angeles. Oh yeah. The owner would uh, would have me when I would be introduced. I would walk out to that song, yes. and it never failed to just make me excited. It <laughs> built me up to a degree that then doing stand up is like a step down. It felt like I was going to fight somebody, or like <laughs> you know what I mean, like yeah. do some sort of athletic feat, and just to kind of come out and then begin talking about whatever bullshit was like always a letdown. I was like, <laughs> ah, I was more excited a second ago when the music was playing. Yeah. It's have you seen the remake yet? Did you catch it? Uh, no, I don't ever want to see that. I would almost it's. It's completely different, which is yeah. actually a plus. They yeah. threw out the entire story. Yeah. They've completely changed all the characters. It, big, it barely resembles the original, except in one really interesting way, which is that they don't use the score. It's almost there all yeah. the time. Like Hans Zimmer and whoever else he was working with do this thing where they, they borrow the bass line or they steal some drums, and it's in the background, and it's like it's revving up, but it never quite gets there until yeah. the very end. And that actually felt smart. I, I, but I feel like we've seen that before, though, like the slight remixing of the iconic song, or mm. um, I, I don't know. Like I, I like is that is that was it Anton Fuqua that guy? Yeah, yeah. he's he, I love his stuff. I liked what, did he do the Equalizer? I like that. Yep. I like Denzel. I love Chris Pine. Um, I just feel like I saw like three trailers and they were all sort of lackluster, kind of, and and it felt like there was maybe like a. It felt like sort of a, a hip-hop or some contemporary music where it felt like a little bit like a Young Guns 2 yeah, kind of glossy the, bullshit. The like trailer tried that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's weird. It's like a it's, fake Western, it felt like. It didn't feel like a real Western. Yeah. It's better than it could have been yeah. in a you know, strange way that made me think that they were actually trying. Yeah. But Fuqua still, like, he has this thing. He, he's just, he's total sadist. Yeah. As a filmmaker, like he really loves watching extras get killed. Yeah. And so <laughs> the big final sequence the, with the the uh, the big charge of the gunman is ten minutes of people running around shooting each other. Right. Just constantly cutting back and forth until I'm pretty sure the same extra dies twice. I, I couldn't quite tell. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like more, more, more. And that's not what the movie is about. It's certainly not what the yeah. original is about. No, those action scenes, I feel like, I mean, they're stylized and spare- in, by, in a contemporary context, but I feel like, you know, and I guess this is a complaint of a lot, a lot of contem- modern movies, but it's like very, it's easy to follow. You can jump around between each of the protagonists and who they're facing off against, and it's sort of concise and, and it feels satisfying and it feels like conflict is resolved through battle, but it's not like a cacophony of just nonsense and clusterfucks falling on top of yeah. each other and then pure chaos. Yeah, um, it's really more about what. Six, I guess what all '60s westerns are about, which is the camaraderie between men and yeah. and the and the forging of alliances yeah. and everything. But it's got this underpinning of dignity and decency, yeah. and how if you're not cut out for this, you shouldn't be doing it. There's this weird, but thing. celebrating the family, like yeah. the fact that you know the one, the two kids uh, with Bernardo O'Reilly played by Joe Bronson, where they're like, our, our, our parents are cowards; they don't want to fight, and he spanks them, and is like, yeah. you know, ah, you, you think what yeah. they do is easy? They Never have to speak against your parents. Yeah, yeah, they have this rock called responsibility, and it drives them every day to provide for you and love you, and that's real courage that I've never had. And it's like, holy shit! Mm-hmm. And then. You know, yeah, all of those kinds of codes, like you said, of like speaking out against. I guess it does have more of a message than I give credit for. But then, <laughs> even 
you know, in the end, that sort of man tough guy code of like, you know, they could walk away and no one would know and no one would care. And it's right. just that idea of like, well, I would know. You know, I'm not going to, you know, like as Coburn says, nobody throws me my own guns and says run. Nobody. And yeah. it's like, I got to go back, you know. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like once upon a time in the West almost. Sorry to, like, yeah, where it's yeah, like, no, it's you know, insane. Henry Fonda's is like, comes back to Bronson, just like, I don't, whatever the fuck, a lot of shit happened, but I gotta know, what's, what, what is this, who are you? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the stuff that will become cliches, yeah. I guess, in movie making, but isn't yet, or wasn't when they made it. Yeah. And there's a, yeah, there's just this sort of weird integrity, and, and it's so much richer than I remember, I guess is how I would explain it. Because I saw it, I saw it on Laserdisc way back in the day, and then the DVD came out, this is probably the last time I saw it, I watched, I sat through the whole thing, and... It just, it faded in a way that it shouldn't have. Yes. And that's on me. Like, that's completely on me, underestimating it. No, you screwed up. You've but done a grave did, error to well, this, this is my This is my prediction. Yeah. Um, but, but the, yeah, the, the idea that it is now, when the remake was announced, you're like, oh, really? And a part of that for me was, why are you bothering... Yeah, just tell a new story, make a new Western. But that's not how it works. Just call it something else. But I, I, yeah. I wonder, though... What cachet they're even like? Who, like you said, it has faded a bit. Like, what are they really going to get from using that name? Like, I can't be too much of a hard ass because you know the Magnificent Seven obviously borrowed from Seven Samurai and it's been remade in other forms. I think there's a shitty '80s like outer space version and yeah, oh, Battle Beyond the Stars, yeah, and, and Galaxy Quest. I mean, a lot of it is yeah, it echoes through history. That, yeah, that story is older than Seven Samurai. Too, yeah, but but, but why yeah. use that name if you're not going to even? It just doesn't make any sense. It's not like. Superman or Star Wars or Lethal Weapon or some sort of thing where people are like, oh, right, I remember that property. It's like, yeah. I think that's it, though. I think it's the state of, of remakes, or not state of remakes, the state of studio politics now is that it's just easier to remake something you already own. Yeah. Um, Gus Van Sant told the story once about uh, every time he had a hit, he would be brought to the studios on the tour. Mm-hmm. You know, like He would go to Warner, he would go to Universal, he would go to... Fox, and they would all say, hey, we really want to be in the Gus Van Sant business. And every time you went to Universal, they would pull out a little card catalog of all the properties they owned. And wow. they'd say, Do you, does anything look interesting to you? And he said, oh, Psycho. And they're like, no. And then that was for Drugstore Cowboy. And then he had another hit in the mid-90s, and he did the tour. I think uh-huh. it was To Die For. And he did the tour, and they pulled out the card catalog. They said, do you want to do anything? He said, Psycho. And they're like, no. And then Goodwill Hunting came out, wow. and he got the Oscar nomination. Yeah. And he said, Psycho. And they said, okay. And that's how that happened. Wow. But it's always easier to But that's pitch. a disaster. That movie was, is universally... It's weird. Hated, right? Uh, kind of is. I mean, yeah, oh, absolutely. It was, yeah. Pan, it was pan. But what it is, and what, I'm fa- what fascinates me about Psycho is... It's a movie about the impossibility of doing a remake of Psycho. Like, the whole film is engaged by showing you, oh, we're setting it in the same period, we're using the same shots, basically, line-for-line dialogue, we're doing a couple of little tweaks, and we're going to get Chris Doyle to make it beautiful, but you can't remake Psycho. Everybody knows the twist. And so that's what the movie's about, and it's really interesting. But you're saying it's a meta take on that? Or it absolutely it's... is, yeah. That well, was why, his purpose. But why, would he, why, would that, why is that a lesson that needs to be taught when you look at the fact that, like, yeah, you said, like, it, the, you already know the surprise, you already know the scenes, everything is familiar. Like, who out there was arguing that you could make a shot for shot remake? Yeah. It's like, oh, like, I feel like that's sort of a, feels like a straw man type. I think as soon as they gave him the green light, he had to figure out a way to make it interesting, because right up until then, it was just this, oh, remake Psycho, it's a concept. And we had a, we talked about it when Restless came through TIFF, so 2011, maybe? And I hated Restless. I, I didn't see it. I don't even remember. No one remembers. I'm not a huge fine. fan of his. Of, uh, I, he's, he's... 
he's great and he's awful. I don't think there's a real middle ground with this. But guy. how is it meta? You're saying it is like a winking, like almost like a Starship Troopers, like if you yeah, he's subtext he's, to it where he's like, see, it's I told you I couldn't. Like his, what? his argument is that it should be the last remake, and it isn't. Like, oh. and nobody learned a lesson. So he we really was this kind of oh yeah yeah like million multi million dollar lecture on kind did, of, did the yeah. cast know you think I think I'm pretty sure Julianne Moore knew I don't know if the others did maybe Vince Vaughn is this written anyway that's fascinating we talked about it we well I, I have oh. a twenty minute interview with him that I've never been able to use because it's just like I really don't want to talk to you about wrestlers let's talk about Psycho wow and we did we talked for twenty we had a half hour slot we spent all of it talking about Psycho so it was him just trying to spite the film industry and teach them a lesson kind of. That's amazing. If that's, yeah. I mean, I believe you. Well, like, he's a semiotician. Him and Todd Haynes are the two weirdest film people to, to accidentally have commercial success because they really just want to be left alone to do their stuff. Yeah. And address, like, you know, the way Far From Heaven is sort of a 50s movie, but it's really not because yeah. it's contemporary and it, it uses language and sexuality in a way wow. that it wouldn't at the time. Yeah. And it also tries for the Technicolor Douglas Circle thing. It's just about exploding the impossibility of telling a period piece right. accurately. And yeah. Psycho is like, you. That's really want this? Are you guys sure? Yeah. Oh no. I, I mean, at the risk of his own career, because that was never going to be successfully received message by Hollywood. Yeah. Where they were not going to be like, oh my god, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And and he stopped. He's done. Like it stopped nothing. He acknowledged like, well, I changed nothing. Yeah. I, I couldn't stop it. There's no way Vince Vaughn knew. But <laughs> I wonder. Um, you want me to masturbate? Yeah. Trust me, it's meta. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but, when you, but when you come to the Magnificent Seven, the only way to remake it is to play it absolutely straight, which they did do. Yeah, uh, you know, you got Chris Pratt being kind of a live wire, but at least it's McQueeny. You know, like it's within the context of the of the film. It feels like, but I feel like it also suffers though from Pratt having done that so recently and so many better things. I mean, it's mm-hmm. sort of him doing his like charming hunk routine thing. Yeah, which was better in Guardians of the Galaxy and better in. Um, I guess I mean I, I did not I thought it was a terrible movie but Jurassic World I guess yeah. he's kind of doing the same it's shit his, it's his thing yeah. and it, you know I think it needs more to it than just that and and you know I think maybe James Gunn gave him that in, in Guardians and he doesn't have that in Jurassic World but uh, well, Jurassic World I don't think anybody has anything to hang on to right yeah like, except maybe well like Jake Johnson and Lauren Lapkus because they're clearly been they've been allowed to do things to keep it interesting yeah no no they were important right. yeah no absolutely yeah but um, yeah no it's one of those that's that's like that's I think that's the kind of thing that Van Sant was arguing on Psycho is that you don't need to make this movie we yeah. have the other one yeah and with The Magnificent Seven oddly enough you know cast Peter Sarsgaard as the bad guy and not do a Wallach performance let him do like he's basically playing a land baron they've changed everything like, yeah it's completely not the original movie. And so you don't think, oh, who's going to be Yul Britter? Who's going to be Steve McQueen? Like, Pratt is kind of McQueen. Yeah. But the roles are different, and Washington's character is completely new. And it's still... I'm, I'm seeing the, your, your face is going... I feel like eh! I'm just going to watch Bone Tomahawk again, or yeah. some other recent great westerns that have come out, you know. Yeah, it's a weird place to be, because yeah. you're making a movie for people, presumably, who remember the original, because that's why you go to yeah. the remake. And it's, what... 56 years old now you, you're you courting maybe that maybe that's it the Washington strategy you court the middle aged demographic rather than the, the kids I mean I think I think it can be done I mean you look at like I'm thinking of westerns and it's like Pale Rider was like basically a remake of Shane yep and they didn't use Shane which I guess they could have and I think both are great movies I, I really like Pale Rider is much more of a melodramatic I don't know I mean it's it's more of an 80s action movie western I guess yeah. but I, I love it I think it looks great. And, um, oh, Bill Ryder's great. Yeah. yeah, I guess, well, I don't know why they don't 
they didn't use the name then though. And then you look at like different studio. Yeah. No wonder like Eastwood just couldn't get it because he was at Warner instead of Paramount. Maybe it's that simple. Yeah. Or he just decided it was totally different. Um, he's not Shane. Uh, he comes out of nowhere. He's not Shane. Yeah. But they're both so great in different ways. And, and so I'm not against remakes. And even I love the Quick and the Dead, Sam Raimi, but that's mm-hmm. clearly a ripoff of um, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Right. And it sends it up at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. No, definitely. And, and with his good. shots. And it, it's much more of an homage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's more of a goof on the concept of the old Western. Yeah. But... Yeah, you come back to the original Magnificent Seven, or I'd come back to the original Magnificent Seven after all this time. It's like, wow, it's I owe them an apology. It's about stuff. It's yeah. about things going on. Yeah. And the thing I noticed this time around, too, is how weirdly, I don't know why it was done. Uh, maybe it's just the people that they had at MGM, the actors that were coming up, like Bronson and, and Borkholz. But you get the sense of an immigrant America like people are coming to the West yeah absolutely in a way that I'm not sure was intentional yeah you never really talk about it in the film there's no commentary on where they're from or who everybody is but you know Brenner's not from there yeah Uh, Bronson's not from there there's people who have just turned up in this frontier yeah and it speaks to that whole or maybe it's just because I'm reading Sarah Vowell's book on Lafayette and everybody's going back and forth from England and France to to America (laughs) yeah but it's like it's in my head it's like no suddenly I realize these people are not native like this is about a whole new America happening. Yeah, that was the Old West, I think, and that's the appeal and, and the subtext in a lot of the great mm-hmm. works. But um, so many, yeah, but so many of the westerns made at the time were just pure white. Right. They're, they're yeah. Really not about uh, new citizens or anything like that. Yeah. There's no sense of like maybe it is just an accident, uh, but it it works really well. Like looking back now and thinking there is more going on, or there yeah. could be more going on if you want there to be. Yeah, I wonder how intentional that was, but. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much to enjoy. Um, we've yet to mention um, Brad Dexter, Harry Luck. Yeah. Who's maybe, I guess Horace Buckles is the most unknown, right? I think that was his first thing. He was yeah, like some German he was supposed problem. to launch and it didn't happen. Yeah. Cause, and because he's giving this weird method performance that doesn't belong in that movie. Yeah, he's or literally he's like swooning and falling and acting all over everything and that shot yelling of him, and the close-up of his hand at the bar, give me my gun, your gun yeah. is right there, dude. Just reach out. Yes, yeah. But it's chaos in his head or something it's really it it stands out so much yeah because no one else is doing anything yeah and in that scene just watching McQueen play off of him is, is I think I may have already said that yeah it's fascinating no but, it is yeah but it's also like this performance does not belong in this movie he's not too far from like George Shakiris in West Side Story <laughs> but their context there works because yeah it's a musical and everything's already kind of overstated I mean even with a better performance though it is kind of the thankless role of like the guy who doesn't fit in who wants to be cool with the cool guys and mm-hmm. you don't relate to the guy who's like trying too hard in the movie who wants yeah. to be the badass cowboy who clearly Fails, you know, Yul Brenner's gun gunfighter test. Yeah, which how cool is that? Which like, is pretty great. Clap it's... your hands as fast as you can. Clap him faster, and he pulls his gun out and gets between the two clapped hands, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and then has him repeat it. Like that's that's just awesome. It is. It's Whoever came of, up with that? Yeah, I can imagine children were doing that on the playground for years. Hundreds of kids were shot, breaking their fingers. Yes, exactly. Yeah, with yeah. their little toy finger guns. Yeah, but the yeah there and yeah. So Harry Luck again, not. A totally thankless role. Yeah. But the guy who has to sort of be the voice of wisdom and... But also comedy. I feel like his yeah. whole presence there is a deluded notion that, like, he's been duped. But he, he wants to believe that there's some sort of gold or a mountain of rubies underground. Or, and he's constantly, you know, he, he's trying to, like, as Chris said, don't understand me too fast or whatever. Like, he thinks there's some other con and he believes mm-hmm. it's, you know, he can leave it to his friends to work out the details. But, you know, they're there to get rich. And then even on his deathbed, he... Yeah. Chris keeps the lie going for him. So. It's going to be 
be great. We're yeah. going to be rolling in it. What, what was it, Diamonds? Yes, Harry Diamonds. You had it right all along. Oh. Uh, sad. And that is, yeah, that this is the other thing, too, that, that has changed in the years that have passed, that you could make a movie like this with a bunch of people who aren't going to make it to the end. Yeah. It's Real stakes and that, consequences. That weird tragic dignity thing that goes on in the, in yeah. the, in the big epic. Um, you know, Dirty Dozen does it. Um, yeah. What's the other one? There's another one right around that scene. Oh, no. I, bad example. Ice Station Zebra. I was just thinking about other John Sturges movies. Great Escape does it. People like mowed down. Yeah. Poor but, Donald Pleasance and yeah. all of them. And, and uh, McQueen makes it in both. So what does that tell you? But uh, yeah, the, I remember as a kid being sad. Like when, when Bernardo O'Reilly, you know, dies and, and the kids are going to put flowers on his graves and Coburn, like one last throw with a knife as he collapses and, and you know. Yeah. Three gunfighters make it out, and only two stay gunfighters. You know, you lose him to family and marriage and whatever. And yeah. that's not a loss. I'm sure that's a very some people enjoy getting married and it's doing a that. Different kind of heroism. Yes, exactly. But that's the yeah yeah the quandary of the of the dramatic conclusion. You know, yes, you, just, you have to you have to do the thing where everybody walks away having learned a valuable lesson, but not everybody walks away. Yeah, it's kind of which is a good lesson. Yeah, yeah and it's something that's stopped. Like mm-hmm. we just don't get that as much anymore. My my fallback. Uh, anytime dis- uh, discussing how movies aren't working these days is a Transformers film. Yes. Where, you know, the people who are... In- like, they don't even have the courage to kill a bot. Yeah. They're just... Everybody you know is going to make it to... The, like, the guy, the hero is going to be fine. His daughter is going to be fine. His girlfriend's going to be fine. Every single thing is wrong with those movies, though, I would say. I mean, yeah. I like big, dumb spectacles. And, like, I got drunk with some friends and saw it at the Arclight in Los Angeles. And uh, even drunk, I feel like half an hour in, I was still sober and I was bored. Like, yeah. it sucked the joy and euphoria of being drunk out of my body <laughs> and left me this spent. Um, yeah, these movies require investment. Like, the, yeah. the Magnificent Seven, not Transformers 4. Right. Yeah. But, but the sense that, you know, you're watching a story being told by professionals is the thing that's dying out now, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so many, I don't know, so many little touches that I could just talk about it for, like... I've, you know, like McQueen, I don't know how much of this is apocryphal, but like I've read it in his, a couple of his biographies, but like him, like scene stealing from Yul Brenner, like everything from like when they're on the wagon hearse in the beginning of him just like taking off his hat at random times, looking around or like shaking the shotgun shells, checking them for shot yeah. before he puts them in. Um, you know, usually when, when Yul Brenner is giving a speech or doing something in the foreground, then it's just kind of... It's just kind of cool to see that that jockeying because obviously McQueen was not a bigger star at yeah. that point. He was, you which know. again is hard, if not impossible, to imagine. Yeah. Now that's like, oh, this new guy, Steve McQueen. Yeah. I'm still like every time I TV watch star. it, yeah. I'm stunned to see his name isn't first. He's yeah. Third. Yeah. Wait, who's second? Uh, it was Brinner, and then was it Coburn or Wallach? But it was well, maybe Wallach. Yeah. It was really jarring. In fact, it's we can double check that if you want. It's on my tablet. Wow. So he is third, which is crazy yeah after Eli Wallach we just checked um, and it's wow. yeah it's unthinkable to me but then we also going through the credits it's like oh Robert Vaughn right he was fifth build yeah that that's something yeah I mean he steals everything he spent the next couple of decades in TV shows and movies adding color and, and bits of funny dialogue and just being this great guy and this great sort of presence who would pop up and you're like oh yeah yeah and we're recording this what a week after his death yeah I think he was the last of them he, he was. was the last of the seven. Yeah, which is again amazing that fifty-six years later, there's still people kicking around from that film. Yeah, I um, 
this is be, be useless because this is a audio medium. But uh, I have a, a friend of mine years ago got me um, that on the wall is every at the time every Hollywood star of anyone in the Magnificent Seven who had a Hollywood star. Oh, so what? McQueen, Brenner, Coburn. Who's missing? Uh, it's, it's, uh, horse book cults, I'm sure, didn't make yeah. it. It's, so it's John Sturges, Robert Vaughn, Charles Bronson, Steve McQueen, and Yul Brenner. Okay. And I think somebody got added a couple years ago. And I wanted to kind of add a little lower hanging plaque yeah. portion no, of it. Oh, you should do that. But um, yeah, Robert Vaughn was great, and he, you know, like a, the guy who lost his nerve, the guy who like that was a fun little arc. It's like he's got this big reputation, but he's like, and he's dressed fancy and you know just your classic dandy, and but he's just eating beans and he's wanted, and so the people that know he's wanted jack up the rates on the rooms because yeah. he has to pay, and he's doing this sort of as like one last shot at glory. And he chokes a couple times, doesn't have it, and then he just rallies and, you know, finds the courage and gets shot. Yeah. The, Honorable death. I think he's the closest one, character-wise, in the uh, in the remake. It's Ethan Hawke. Oh right. Uh, who yeah. who is the like a screaming alcoholic guy who used to be the best with the shotgun or the long gun, and is oh. now just a shadow of his former self. He's he's the only one I think the only character that has a real echo. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, and again, Ethan Hawke and, and Denzel Washington together again after Training Day, yeah, and completely uncommented upon, which is really great because yeah. it's like other filmmakers would screw that up. It's like, hey, remember when I did this? But it's just there, which is kind of good. Wow, I don't think yeah. I even knew he was in it. Yeah, he barely factored in some of it. Uh, he and Sarsgaard are like the two actors. Oh, and D'Onofrio, who again? Oh wow! Right, so now you're kind of curious, aren't you? I mean, this is a pretty good lineup, but it's I, cast above its station, absolutely. Yeah. But I do not like Ethan Hawke, so that takes away. From <laughs> it. I feel like he's got one of those punchable faces, and he just—I forever associate him with just whiny, oh, like white guy rates. '90s bullshit. Yeah. Of just like you just want to punch him in the face. No, that wasn't his fault. And then somewhere is terrible. <laughs> no, there's that. Yeah. Wait, somewhere. Was that the? Oh, my, might be getting it wrong. That's the Sofia Some Coppola. Sofia sort of, Coppola. And yeah, he's not in that. That's Stephen Dorff. Oh my God! You're who's, right. It was uniquely punchable. Also, also punchable. I yeah. can conflate the two clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, that was a bad movie. Well, oh. Alex Ross Perry's gonna have a beef with you on this one. Oh. Um, that was his episode. He picked it. Which one? Somewhere. Oh my yeah. God! Just the ultimate. Really? I, I feel like it just was like the emptiest sort of Hollywood excess, and this bad boy and his daughter and. But he's just like this douchebag wandering around, and, and the shots that are, I guess, supposed to be beautiful just feel... It just felt like yeah. aping emotion and aping real... It's funny. That's how I felt I about Coppola's Virgin Suicides. Because I'm the one who doesn't like that one. I don't. I never saw that one. It's the... A friend of mine boiled down all of Sofia Coppola's movies to, I'm rich, I've got everything, I'm still not happy, and no one understands me. It's like, yeah. okay, that is... Fair. That is all yeah. of the movies. I guess you have to like the character then. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you got like Bill Murray or something, then you're up on board. Yeah, you know, but somewhere got... for me it was it was Elle Fanning. It was watching her contextualize her father. Yeah. That worked for me. That relationship made it made it play. Okay. And Michelle Monaghan being just quietly amazing in two scenes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the uh, yeah. You know, Ethan Hawke in, and not Stephen Dorff is in Magnificent Seven, although Dorff could have probably played the Sarsgaard role. Yeah, but it's one of those things where, again, just like the original, weirdly enough, if you look back, you realize, oh, these people are all phenomenally good. They're, they're right. not just. I mean, Brunson is probably the least of them because he really only did one thing. Yeah, but he did it better than anybody else. Yeah. So you oh look back God. and it's yeah. like, oh, James Coburn, Robert Vaughn, Yul Brynner. None of these people 
could was necessarily only a cowboy guy. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Well, that's what's cool about Bronson, though. And I look, you know, and we're looking at it through like reverse history or whatever. Sure. But it's like you're like, oh, that's like Death Wish and Mr. Majestic and um, the mechanic is yeah, the mechanic with Jan Michael Vincent, where he shatters a champagne flute with his muscular hands for some reason. He could totally um, do that. And um, or the Great Escape. I mean, it's just sort of like you got Charles Bronson in there, and again, he's like one of many highlights. It's just like. Um, uh, yeah, it just feels like almost like a proto, it, like Avengers almost kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you sort of get. I mean, I know you're, you know, the Magnificent Seven, the remake. I'm like, none of those guys are as big, with the exception of maybe Denzel. It's like Bronson, McQueen, Coburn, and um, mm-hmm. it just it just feels like this, yeah, all star team up or something. Yeah. You know? So over the years, how have you? Like, obviously, you've, you've introduced other people to it. You forced it on other people. Yeah. Uh, how have they responded? What's the experience been like for you? The people who like westerns love it and, and sort of have the reaction you have. People who are indifferent to westerns or, or dislike them outright are not going to really come around. Uh, I, I did actually last year on my birthday. I went to this bar around the corner, and they have a big screen. And I was like, I'm going to have my party here. Can we show my favorite movie, Megan 7? And... We did, and um, people seemed into it for the first 15 minutes, and then obviously, you know, it's, it's still a bar. So. Right, yeah. But, um, but a couple people were like, oh, that was really cool, and they were, still, they were still kind of clustered close to the screen and enjoying it, and then, you know, mentioned, you know, finishing it up, watching it later, and, and liking it. Yeah, and um, it is... Like- you have to like Westerns, though. It's, it's not going to do the impossible. You know, when you have to like those themes and that look and that kind of pace and dust and dirt and guns and cigars and sort of... <laughs> Bravado. Yeah, there's a lot of chomping and spitting in this one. I'd forgotten quite how much cigar activity there is. Yeah, like, yeah. Wallach's doing it constantly, and I'm pretty sure I saw, like, Coburn does it at least once, and Coleman yeah. does it, and everybody's just running around <laughs> spitting out pieces of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not quite as gritty as, like, an episode of Deadwood, but, I mean, especially for a 60s movie. Yeah. Like, you know, like you think about it, thing, but it's got some grit to it. Yeah. yeah, how filthy that world would be. Yeah. And then you've got I, maybe it's just part of the whole Metro Color thing where everything looks better and cleaner and brighter. Yeah. But it's a nice little piece of business recurring through the movie that puts it at odds with everything else. What's well, that? Like the, the, the cigar stuff. Just the fact oh, that right. like, and the drinking and the yeah. and, and horse book called sweating. It's just, yes. It just feels more real than it, it otherwise might. Yeah. And it doesn't feel a stagier studio battle. Like they shot it in Mexico. They actually did that. Yeah. Which is kind of an undertaking. Like when they have the, the MGM backlight is there for everything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, having just watched recently how, uh, how the West was won, yeah, this big cinerama thing where everything is immaculate within an inch of its life because it's going to be realized in seventy millimeter giant, you know, like frame wow, projection. Yeah. It was nice to see something that it was feels like it's it's shot with care, but it's not pristine. Is it always? It is entirely shot in Mexico. I think most of the exteriors were. Yeah, I mean, definitely the credits up top say that the, the two locations in Mexico are credited. Yeah. I'm sure there's some backlot stuff. The town is the introductory town is probably MGM. Could be, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't. It still doesn't feel like if you turn the camera five degrees, you'll see you know, like the '70s sets from Blazing Saddles yeah. or something. It doesn't like feel like an episode of Bonanza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's this weird. There's this kind of weird midpoint in the evolution of the Hollywood western, I think, where you've got real actors doing cowboy stuff, which was happening all the time. Yeah. But it also has a little more gravity, maybe. And maybe that is the Kurosawa influence. Maybe it is the fact that they, you know, we have this property that nobody else has seen. Let's do our best job with it. Yeah. I don't know. I'd love to read, like, an oral history of, of it or something. Uh, there must be one. God, there should be one. Yeah. But then again, if you don't know about it, then it probably doesn't exist. 
I mean, I'm also lazy and incredibly forgetful. So, <laughs> I, you know, I feel like I've, I've heard facts and stories and things I've forgotten. I just assume someone would have given it to you for your birthday. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I have terrible friends. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I just, I just, I love it. And uh, I continue to watch it. And, oh, and it holds up. It doesn't ever seem to dull or diminish. You know, like I definitely, you know, you don't want to wear out that favorite book or that favorite song. And, yeah. and you can. And, and I feel like with this, I've been watching it my whole life. And I feel like. It feels like important. Like I want to watch it once a year, and I want to watch it, it I, for a couple of years. For as a go-to, it would be my thing of like if I'm feeling down, or you're feeling a little bit like you go through a weird depression or something or whatever. It's like you throw that movie in. Like you feel, you know, ten feet tall and bulletproof when it's over. Like a million bucks. Yeah. Just tons of metaphors and figurative. Yeah, they fly uh, around. Yeah, no, it's just it's just great. Good pick me up. Yeah. So, is there anything? I mean, you talked about being brought out to the music at Largo, but is there anything else about the film or one of the performances in it that you use? Because this is the final question of the podcast, is always yeah. the same too, which is, what have you stolen or lifted or borrowed or referenced in your own DNA as a as a performer, as a writer, anything from The Magnificent Seven? I don't know. Um, as, a, as, a, as a person as well? I mean, Just generally, yeah. I, I do believe it's sort of, because I saw it at such a young age and it seeped into who I am and maybe even formed who I am to a certain degree. I think sure. those, and this is a cheesy answer, but sort of those themes and those like, you know, being strong when you need to be strong and doing the right thing, even if it's difficult. And, you know, I'm not obviously a hero, but, uh, or a gunfighter, but um, I feel like that you see something early enough, it definitely like uh, shapes you or molds you. And I feel like those themes and those other themes and other Westerns that are similar sort of, have, have gone a little ways in, in shaping who I am. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of my writing, I don't know. Um, I do feel like, you know, you try and you go over a script and you go over stuff and you, you kind of want to keep adding a joke or adding a thing. You, you always want to have something interesting happening regardless of the overall arc. And I feel like at the Megan 7, there's always that little business or the little gimmick of like the gunfighter game or, you know, Bernardo making the flute for the little girl, like even visual things. And I just feel like it's so... There's so much it to take in. It's like never boring, and I think that's that's something good to aspire to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you're constantly, you don't want to overcrowd something, but really draw it in fully. You know, like populate it and, and put in little touches and twists, and um, that was far more disjointed than I intended it to be. No, no, but, I got uh, it. it was, yeah. this is the whole show, a stream of consciousness. That's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, but the well, yeah. The the other thing, I guess, in terms of the question is, would you say? If if you do sort of imprint on the on the film that way, do you uh, would you say you're more of a, of a McQueen or a Brinner or a, a Coburn? Is there any one actor that you've imprinted on more? Or I mean, ah man, I am a ridiculously cocky buffoon, but I, it would be even going too far for me, who's an idiot, to, to to claim to be like McQueen or Bronson or anything. Like, I'm not like any of them. Like, no, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um, but, mine, mine is Jaws. My touchstone is Jaws, so I always sort of manage to reduce myself to I'm more of a Hooper with a Brody rising, that kind of thing. Yes. I don't have to pick one. Yeah. But then there are only three. The seven give you too many options. I mean, yeah. Obviously, in, in Jaws, you want to be Quint, even though he dies, but I think I'm not Quint, if I'm being honest with myself. Uh, in this, um... Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 McQueen is my favorite, and, and I've, you know, as evidenced by my posters and stuff, I'm a big fan of his other work, and um, I like him the best because he has, like, a little bit of a, he seems to be, I don't know, 
there, there is more of a, a com- comedic element to what he's doing, I guess, or more of a having fun with it, even mm-hmm. though they're all having fun. Um, yeah, he seems to be the one character who knows he's in a movie. Yeah, which is yeah. what makes him so interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like he's giving a western performance with a tiny bit of stylization, and yeah. it just invites you in. It makes you want to watch him more and see what else he does. Yeah, uh, I'm the the farmer who decides to stand up and do the right thing, and like runs at a guy with like a, the fucking hoe <laughs> over his head and takes a bullet in the chest, and like right. you know, eventually did the right thing. It didn't work out well, but hey, you tried and you, you <laughs> had a good death. Be, oh, that's me. Well, uh, smile spoiler, that character is Matt Bomer in the new movie, so, you know. Oh! Okay. <laughs> At least you go out handsome. Not bad. Good-looking guy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Cool. Wow. My thanks to Kevin Sesha, whose book Punching Tom Hanks is available pretty much everywhere, and whose really fun podcast The Case Files of Columbo is on Howl.fm in its entirety for subscribers to enjoy. You should subscribe. It's great. Thanks also to Kevin's Case Files co-host, Aaron Abrams. He knows what he did. You can find Kevin on Twitter at Kevin Sesha, all one word, and you can find The Magnificent Seven on Blu-ray and DVD from MGM Home Entertainment and for sale and rental on iTunes and Google Play. You can also find Antoine Fuqua's 2016 remake on all of those formats and platforms as of today through Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, if you're so inclined. It's not bad. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. If you stay alive, we'll be just as happy. Thanks for listening.